Welcome to Resilience Unraveled. Hi everybody and welcome to Resilience Unraveled, a podcast that examines all aspects of personal and organisational resilience. A huge all-encompassing subject that covers the ability to thrive in life by harnessing your cognitive, emotional, physiological and contextual abilities. I share stories from people who have thrived despite remarkable obstacles, as well as highly successful practitioners and experts across a range of topics. And this podcast introduces their amazing stories and expertise, as well as my own reflections, perspectives, strategies and tips, which come from my own synthesis of themes and trends from wider learning. You can go to qedod.com forward slash extras to access offers, tools and resources, including free articles and ebooks. For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com. Then search for Resilience Space Unraveled. So, let's get started. Enjoy the show. Hi, and welcome back to Resilience Unraveled, another episode. And this time, uh, one that's particularly close to my heart, looking forward to this one, uh, a new guest and... Um, not just a new guest, but a selection of animals in the background. So I'm looking at Faith Alicia, who's sitting in front of me, but there are many other pairs of eyes staring back at me. So first of all, hi, Faith. Good morning. Hi. Oh, of course, it's morning for you. Of course, it's mid-afternoon for me. Yes. And um, so good hello. afternoon to good evening, good everything. Fantastic. And um, for everybody who's in the background, good afternoon as well. And uh, there are many bears and creatures' eyes looking at me, so that's great. So hi, Faith, how are you? I'm doing great. I'm so happy to be here and to just bring awareness to this topic of eating disorders. Brilliant. Very and, important. Yeah, and I think it's so important, isn't it? And not just because they seem to be on the increase, not because the lockdown seems to exacerbate things, not because we've got a, a global heating crisis and we need to think about eating, but actually it's it's one of the most prevalent conditions that's out there, isn't it? It sort of affects so many people. It really does. And it's, in my experience, what I found that it's not really often spoken about. We hear a lot about addiction and alcoholism, but eating disorders kind of on the side, we don't really, it's not as out there from my experience, what I've seen. It also seems to be a particularly a female thing as well. And that's also not true as well. That's another myth about eating disorders. Is, is, that, is that so? That is so. Men, it really doesn't discriminate against age, gender. It, it crosses the line. So men can have them. It really, it crosses the gambit. So it's important to just keep that in mind. Yeah, okay. No well, discrimination before... with eating disorders. Oh, that's always good to hear. <laughs> as long as... As long as they're woke, that's all that matters. Now, before we talk more about the actual subject, let's talk a little bit about you. Just why don't you tell us a bit about yourself and what it is that you do today? Sure. So I am a mom of three. I've been married for over 26 years. I got a master's in it. Thank you. I've got a master's in education. However, I manage my husband's medical practice. So just totally opposite from what I've studied for so i've learned a totally new field good and so what got you interested in this subject i actually am recovering from an eating disorder actually i forgot to say i'm a romance writer as well so that has been a very healing addition to my life 
Right. But yes, I am recovering from an eating disorder. We're yeah. going on about nine years in recovery. So I have personal oh. experience. Yes. Okay. So you've got personal experience. And I mean, are the things that you talk about, are they based on your personal experience or are they sort of, have they medically validated the things that you're going to talk to us about today? I would say they're medically validated only because the things that I practice are mindfulness. So it's things that are, you know, widely practiced that neuropsychologists and psychologists are teaching. Many of the programs I've taken, you know, are taught by professionals who research these topics. I do have my psychologist who specializes in eating disorders as well as my dietitian. They've done forwards to my book. And it's based on my experience, but that have helped through this experience. Right. Okay, cool. Well, well, let's let's unpack a bit of this. Well, first of all, what is an eating disorder? Sure. An eating disorder is For me, it's having, you know, a distorted body image mm -hmm. and it's also, it's a maladaptive coping mechanism. So right. the focus is either on food or body and just using food or focus on body instead of really focusing on feelings. Yes. And it gets to the point where it impairs your functioning, similar to how you know, addiction and alcoholism do, eating disorders kind of do the same thing. It numbs the feelings because you're, you know, you're either binging or purging or restrictive, which we could, you know, talk about some of these things, but so focused on these behaviors that we're really ignoring what's going on inside. Right. Okay. Well, let's unpack a few of those things then. So, I mean, possibly uh, you may educate me otherwise, but I mean, the, 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 the three I hear about a lot are binge eating, bulimia, anorexia. Um, they're the three biggies. I know there are others, but um, is it worth saying a few words about what each of those are and if there's anything else, any other conditions we should bear in mind as well? Sure. Anorexia is what I struggle with. I'm still, you know, I'm in recovery. I yeah. believe, you know, there's different schools of thought as far as recovered and recovery. I, for me, it's a one day at a time process of taking care of myself and, you know, just one day at a time. I'm in this moment in this place in my life. So for me, it was restrictive eating. Yeah. So not consuming a lot of food. And then if I consumed what my eating disorder, who from here on out, I'll call Ed, a lot of people in the eating disorder, we call it Ed. So if Ed in my mind said that's too much, I would overexercise to get rid of the calories I ate. And there's, you know, there's many forms with anorexia. Some people use diuretics. It could be laxative. So there's many ways to try to, you know, get rid of the intake. And the, you know, it for me, anorexia, it comes down to that control that there's so much going on around me. I cannot control these situations, but the one thing I can control is what I put into my body. Yes. The issue with anorexia is it's, you know, one of the, the deadliest of all mental disorders. And, you know, it, I could look in the mirror and see 
a body that's not my own. So it's yeah. extreme body dysmorphia. At this point, I can see, you know, where I'm at, but it, you know, it's, it's never enough. You keep yeah. losing and losing, but it's never enough. It's that control. With bulimia, you know, it's consuming large amounts of food and then purging them in some way, vomiting, exercise, again, laxatives, diuretics, or there's, you know, overeating, just large binging. Yeah. We also have, you know, avoidant restrictive intake disorder where my daughter's friend suffers from that and he's afraid to eat, but he's so afraid to vomit. Yeah. So it's just afraid of eating certain things. And then there are other, other specified eating disorders as well. The important thing to keep in mind for me and for the listeners is that no two eating disorders are the same. Right. So, you know, I put on my website all the DSM criteria for the different ones, but I just think it's important that, you know, well, I don't have this, this, and this, so I don't have an eating disorder. To just keep in mind that if it's impairing, you know, your daily functioning, if it's getting in the way, then that's, you know, a, a light bulb to say, you know what, something might be wrong. Yes. And, and is it the case that you're fixated on food or are you fixated on your body, would you say? I think it varies by individual. For me, it was a combination of both. Fixated on body because I had a fear of gaining weight. Yeah. And then the fixation on food was I could eat safe foods. And by safe, I meant foods that I know I could eat that won't make me gain weight. Now, today, I know foods aren't safe. They're not good. They're not bad. It's just food. Yeah. But when I was active in my eating disorder, you know, I'm allowed to eat certain foods. Anything outside caused such tremendous anxiety that it was not even worth it to try it because of the anxiety. It was just safer and more comfortable to listen to my eating disorder and eat what I knew was safe for me. Right. Okay, interesting. And um, the word dysmorphia is quite interesting yeah. because that is about worrying about flaws in your appearance mm -hmm. or flaws in certain bits of your body. And, and the thing about dysmorphia uh, in particular is that it only appears to the person who has the dysmorphia themselves. Other people ne can't necessarily see this thing. Uh, in a, and, and, and that's interesting because we often do hear them with... Um, dysphoria and that's a different sort of process isn't it so but dysmorphia is really what um, eating disorders are all about so you're so you're covering things off what would you say are the the root of some of these disorders well i think that eating disorders can manifest in any form with each person because we're all individual from being in treatment two times and attending support groups for years a common factor that i see in many of the people suffering is some kind of root trauma, be it emotional trauma, physical trauma, sexual trauma. Right. And so it basically comes down to this internal belief, I'm not good enough, I'm not worthy enough. And so it just kind of morphs into an eating disorder. There's a lot of people with eating disorders that it's comorbid, which means it occurs with more than one condition. So they might have, you know, a substance abuse issue along with an eating disorder. 
There might be depression, anxiety. I have an anxiety disorder along with the eating disorder. So in my case, I, would, I am a child of an alcoholic. My father has passed. It, yesterday was his birthday. It's three years. But he did seek recovery in his later life. That said, you know, the foundation of my childhood, he was drinking. And, you know, if he wasn't drinking around us, because I didn't learn of his alcoholism until I was 16. So he was kind of on a dry drunk, which is that same alcoholic behavior. So it was just very loud, lots of outbursts. So I... I was always on fight or flight from a very young age because I was just, even if the anger wasn't directed at me, petrified of it. So I would end up hiding in my room. And to this day, if there's loud, like screaming, angry screaming, I'm not talking about like concert screaming, I will still, I'm still very triggered and like my body just wants to clench up into a ball. And then, you know, there's self-talk to help myself through it. So, you know, so it's, so it's, so it's an output from something else rather than it's then a thing on its own, would you say? No, it's, it's deep rooted, just emotional suffering that needs to be handled. Yeah. And once you get to those root issues, which is not easy, it's, I'm not like downplaying it. It's very hard. It's been very hard for me to really get to that center and start clearing away all of that stuff where the eating disorder can kind of be on the side because now I'm, I know about myself. It's just getting that deep self-awareness, self-discovery about who I am, what my needs are, because all of that was codependency which, you know, I'm very affected by people, places, and things, and trying to control them all again, like a symptom of anorexia control, which I have no power over anything outside of myself. And within myself, it's my choice on how I choose to act and react to situations. So, you know, just growing up in an alcoholic family that, you know, codependency, it was very much on my mom and depending on my mom emotionally. So for myself, I... I just, I didn't believe that I could do things on my own. I, you know, this anxiety and everything, and just, it really came down to a belief of I'm not capable. I'm not worthy enough. I'm not good enough. I don't deserve, even though my behavior proves otherwise that I was able to get through college and get through a master's and have three kids and manage my husband's office. So what I do externally proves completely different than what I truly believe at my core. Yes. So it's a contradiction. Well, it's this idea of being able to be high functioning irrespective of the condition you have. And that could be alcoholic or any form of thing. Exactly. Now now I'm minded just seeing a picture on your wall, strangely enough that many, many years ago, I was a member of a ballet company and um, some occupations may have a tendency to produce more of certain types of disorder and I wonder if things like jockeys ballet dancers people who are extraordinarily body conscious um, when allied to this type of anxiety or um, genetic predisposition they're more likely to have this um, this condition I'm guessing so is, is that something you found do you find t- do you find t- certain types of occupation produce 
the 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 eating disorders from you know hearing others speak of course dancers my both of my older kids went to a school of the arts yeah they didn't do dance but there was a dance program and there's such pressure yeah you know on the body and if we look at you know look at the media on how the covers on the magazines that this is I know for the American standard of beauty is, you know, to be very thin and overweight. It's, it's just not deemed as attractive, which it's horrible. It should be who we are on the inside, because for me, you know, beauty is only skin deep. You could be so beautiful on the outside, but if you're not a good person to me, I mean, I go for what's on the inside. So there's just a lot of pressure on not just, you know, dancers and, actors and models but the messages that we're sending children is that this is the norm when it's not because for america i mean obesity it's very high in our country and girls as young as seven and eight are talking about diets yeah that's that's not okay and we're sending the wrong messages just to everyone because that's not the norm so, and it's they're airbrushed so that's besides the point. yeah that doesn't help either does it the so so how would you spot in a new relationship or in a child or something how would you see how would you spot the signs of an eating disorder beginning to take hold speaking about the body a lot right noticing not eating you know sitting at meals, not really picking around the food. If eating, disappearing right after, you know, you just want to make sure. And just keeping an eye on exercise. I, I have to say, eating disorders are very manipulative. So I really look at mine as a type of addiction, especially coming from a family of addiction. Yeah, I really view it as such. And they're very conniving. So if I want to hide a behavior, I'm going to hide it and you're not going to know. Like yeah. it, it just takes over and we can play, we'll become Academy Award winning actors, actresses at keeping others from knowing what's going on. Yeah. So for me, keeping open communication, you know, with, with our kids, you, you know, I heard a lot of younger women that were in treatment with me, I heard that, you know, that one of the parents had an eating disorder. So, you know, when they, when they hear a lot of it at home, well, they want to, they think that, well, they should do that to them. So it's important, the language you're using. So if I encourage my kids to exercise, it's not about what you have to exercise because you have to be thin. No, it's important to exercise because it's good for your mind. It's good for your body. It's, you know, it's good for your heart. It releases endorphins. Like we exercise for the right reasons, Yeah. you know, not to, not for maladaptive reasons because kids are very open and with all the, I don't know, cyberbullying and the internet, you know, being aware of what our kids are looking at on social media as well because there are some scary social media sites out there that promote eating disorders. Yeah. So it's important to steer away. I mean, I used to love reading the gossip magazines. I no longer do that. 
because what I found is it's all about who looks better in this outfit. Who cares? Yeah. They both look great. You know what I'm saying? Who cares if they feel good in it? God bless them. And the thing is, there's a problem here, isn't there? Because, and sometimes it's the it's the way the genders talk to each other. It's this thing about when a woman says, "Does this dress look good on me?" What they're saying is, "Do I look good?" Or where the man often hears often is that a nice dress. So they'll often say, no, it looks terrible, meaning the dress. And the other person can take it as meaning themselves. And you can get this miss, if you get someone with low self-esteem, you get this misappropriation of language, can't you? And, um, and people hear what they want to hear. So if you if you set up a, um, a bit of body dysmorphia pattern running, it, it, it's very easy to reinforce it and very easy to succumb to its challenge. And in a funny sort of way, it's quite a, it's quite a, an addictive thing in itself, isn't it? To actually, to find the evidence to support your view that you have a dis, uh, dysmorphic aspect. It really is. And you know, it becomes like anything else reinforced. Yes. You know what I'm saying? You, you know, you engage in this. And even though in my experience, you know, if I restricted or acted out with exercise, there was shame after I felt horrible and I would sneak and exercise and if I heard my husband come in, it's like, oh, I gotta, you know, I have to stop because I'm gonna get in trouble. Yeah. When bottom line is, I'm in control of me. He can't get me in trouble. I'm choosing to do something that's not healthy for myself. So it and so it is very easy to reinforce, and it just becomes a negative cycle. I call it like a merry-go-round, and you just were the little spinning hamster in the wheel. You can't get off. Yes. I want to stop. Like, why can't I just? eat like everyone else. Why yeah. can't I, like, why do I have this? Why can't I stop? Because and I it's guess, not that easy and it's an actual disorder. Yes, and I think this is the problem, isn't it? When people say, well, just just, just control yourself, you know, get a grip or something that, what you're saying is there's two aspects, of, well, possibly even three aspects. One is the dysmorphia, one is the addiction, and one is the underlying issue, which actually has driven the original thing. So you've got, I guess, a three or four stage faceted program to help people get through these things and you know what what people say like what you were saying it, it's can be very harmful so i know you know when i was first in recovery and i had a meal plan and my husband what well, did you have this did you have this so i called it food police you know yes. it was called like do not police me it was hard enough for me to try to do what the dietitian is telling me to do Yes. But to have somebody watching me, yeah, it, it was it wasn't helpful for me. And what I'm learning is, you know, how can I support you? You know, is so much better than well. Do you think your dietitian would think that that's recovery? I'm already shaming myself. I don't need anybody else shaming me. That's a really good and tip. All of that just again reinforces that well, I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy enough. I can't do this. So, you know, just some of the things that are said can be more harmful than good. My husband yeah. has since learned, like, do not police my food. I know what I'm doing. I know if I'm eating enough. I know if I'm not. Yeah. You know, so I don't need others telling me because the bottom line is when you're active in eating disorder, you're going to do what you want anyway. Yeah. That's the bottom line. So, um, so you, um, you've written a book, I think, to help us, help people um, learn more, understand more of your story and 
such like. So um, I guess people need to go to your site, faithalicia.com. Now in UK, we call that Alicia. So faith and then E-L-I-C-I-A.com. Um, and tell us about, tell us a little bit about this book. Sure. So the book is called, Do You See What I See? And on the cover of the book, I, when I first entered treatment, we did art therapy. Oh, nice. So we had it, you know, she would either give us a prompt or, you know, I chose to do my own, but it really took on a life of its own. So I drew like a little character that's myself. So the cover of the book is actually one of the drawings that I had done. And it's a picture of myself as I am. It's all cartoon, but then a mirror be reflecting back what my what I see, it's a distorted view of myself. Yes. Because when I looked in the mirror, I did not see what I was. And when I was in treatment, you know, we had to read different books. And I found that most of the books were on people that had recovered. And that was very hard for me because I didn't believe that I could get there. Like, that's great for them. Well, I, I can't do that. I'm like too stuck in the sickness. I'm too anxious. I'm different than everyone else. Mm. And my eating disorder loved to tell me that nobody is like me, where it's not true, like we're all unique, but we all have feelings and we all deal with them in different ways. So in that sense, we're all alike, which takes away some of the isolation of this, which is why support is crucial. Yes. So what I had discovered was, you know, if I looked at it as this is a journey, you know, I do follow the 12 steps of codependency anonymous. I'm not sure that, you know, that it's a 12 step program, like alcoholics follow a 12 step program, some, and some recovering, you know, addicts follow, you know, um, just looking at it as it's a journey. And also this is where the mindfulness came in. I took the eight week mindfulness course. I took the self-compassion course, Kristen Neff's course. I took a six week happiness course. I'm finding I have to rewire all of this thinking since I'm a child that tells me I can't handle things. How am I supposed to do this? You know, all of these self deprecating thoughts, I have to rewire this and re brainwash what's been, you know, these tapes in my mind with new types of thinking. Yeah. So what this book is, it's kind of like, it's my discovery of myself over these nine years and strategies that have and haven't worked for me, but I made them in an interactive format because I do believe that recovery is a we, yes, I have to make a choice to recover for myself. So in that sense, it's I, yeah. but it's we, in that we can't do this alone. We have to have support, whether it's, you know, by professionals in the field, support groups, you know, others going through the same thing. It can't be done alone. So I thought, how cool would it be? And I didn't see anything like this out there where I could journal about, you know, something that's going on with me, whether it's a struggle or even an accomplishment, because life is up and down. You know, it's, it's not always one thing. And then provide questions for the reader to provoke thought within them. And the beauty is, is that you know, you can work through this book more than one time because we're always evolving. So for today, I might answer, you know, I might journal about some of the responses and in six months, I might do the same prompt 
and do it just my mind is in a completely different place yeah. and yes so interactive I, I think it's very helpful it provides many tools many strategies and i say you know take what works for you because not everything's going to work for everyone but be open-minded to try something new that's the key excellent and so where can we get our hands on this book well this book is on amazon it's an ebook. I have also print versions and it's also on Barnes and Noble and iBooks. It's on everything. You can also through my website. You know, I, I had written an article and it was small actions lead to recovery milestones. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's a very important concept to keep in mind when trying, you know, attempting recovery because eat the smallest thing just the smallest thing can be the biggest milestone because each small thing adds up. Yeah. And that includes relapse because recovery is not per perfect No, because there is no perfect, right? It's up and down. It's all over the place. We relapse, we get up, we stumble, we fall. But from each time I've been able to gather more awareness, stand up quicker because I keep, I have more awareness. Yeah. I know more. So it's not like I'm all the way back where I started. Um, I can get up faster now because of all of these small, small actions, each one adding up, adding up, adding up that has changed my thinking, changed how I view myself and has given me the attitude that, you know what? I deserve as much as everyone else. Today, I deserve. That, and that's not selfish. That's not, no, that's not selfish. At all. No, no, especially when you're saying it. I mean, that's the most important thing of all. I mean, that is a, such a massive, I was going to ask you for one key sort of idea or thought, you know, to close on, but I think that's it, isn't it? Well, to close on, I'm going to say, it's very hard to believe that you're deserving when deep in your heart, you don't believe. Mm. So things that have helped me to believe that I deserve is self-care, which is critical. And it's finding things that help build me up instead of tear me down. My eating disorder tears me down. Even though I think it's helping me, it's not, it's hurting me. Yeah. So instead of acting on an eating disorder behavior, I might read a romance book or right instead one. of, I love reading romance <laughs> <laughs> and writing romance. So you know, it's starting to learn to do something different. So I guess if I could give one piece of, not advice, so just a suggestion, I'll say, because, you know, I would say it's gratitude and to sit down and say, what are, you know, and if you can come up with one, come up with one. If you can come up with 10, come up with 10, but just stop and take a deep breath like kind of go into yourself and say, what am I grateful for today? And when in the chaos of eating disorder, I know the eating disorder is gonna say, you have nothing to be grateful for. Everything stinks. It's not true. It's opening up the lens and having a wider perspective and saying, you know what? This life that I'm living is a gift. Yes. Breathing is a gift. My three children, please God, let them be healthy is a gift. Having my mother alive at 89 is a gift. Being married for this long is a gift. 
when we just stop and look at the simple things around us that we take for granted, having my dogs, that it's all a gift. And it's appreciating these gifts because there are many of them. And from the mindfulness course that I took, um, Dr. Shauna Shapiro, she's a, a psychologist who does a lot with mindfulness. And when I first took the program, she said, what you practice grows stronger. And I say this a lot, obviously giving her the credit because they're her words. Whenever I get into the mindset of, because once I get into a negative, it becomes the cycle and I just follow it down and feel worse. And then I will stop and say, okay, what I practice grows stronger. If I keep on this train of thought, guess what? It's going to get bigger. It's yep. going to get bigger and it's going to get stronger. So I can stop and walk around and say, you know what? I can choose to do the right thing right now. I can do some gratitude because if I keep practicing these positive things, guess what? It's going to grow stronger and become more habitual. And, you know, the first response I get rather than eating disorder. And that's what's started to happen. And that's where the deserving came from. Excellent. I love it. I think that makes a lot of sense. That's very practical. So um, thank you so much for your time today. You can find more about Faith's work at faithalicia.com or faithalicia if you're from the UK. Uh, same, same, same thing, same spelling, just pronounced differently. And, um, and find that book on Amazon and all great places to buy books. So thanks for spending time with us today, Faith. Thank you so much. I'm so grateful to be here. And it's been great. hopefully I'm able to you know, shed some light and and help That's someone it. listening to get some information. Well, you take care. You too. Hi, everybody. I hope you found that episode useful and interesting. Feedback is always welcomed. And if you're in the mood to subscribe to us or even leave a comment on iTunes or Stitcher, that would be amazing. If you want to suggest ideas or even people you would like me to interview, then reach out to us at qedod.com forward slash contact. As I said earlier, you can go to qedod.com forward slash podcast for show notes or follow the links. And you can go to qedod.com forward slash extras to access offers, tools and resources, including free articles and ebooks. For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com. Then search for Resilience Unraveled. I look forward to being in your ear next time around. Take care.